Well, that was actually one of the most interesting findings. I don't want to misquote her, so I'm going to paraphrase. Well, yeah, you know, I obviously don't want to kill myself in the first couple heats, so my plan is to pretty much just get a couple eights and sit back and see what happens. Hello and welcome to The Drop. My name is Danny Johnson and this week on the show, we've got Mike and Stace back, the CUSP team, to discuss the WSL finals. We're currently in the waiting period and it's just, it's historic. It's the first surf off ever to decide a world champion and the most frustrating year of Gabby Medina's life if he doesn't win. But before we get to that, let's chat to Brendan Buckley, like we always do, to catch up on this week's surf news. And this week, we've got a special celebrity appearance from surf photographer and investment guru, Ryan Miller. You'll hear Bad Boy pop up when GameStop gets mentioned. And good evening, Danny the Drop Johnson. How are you doing, Mr. Buckley? Oh, hold on a second. There we go. How are you going? I'm very good. How are you? I'm really good. Tell me. Um, well, I can't really prove that, actually, now that you mention it. Yeah, I got no, I got no proof, you, but I mean, am I not radiating through the computer screen right now? You're radiating a bit, but I mean, this is we live in an era where you need proof. You need to prove everything. <laughs> yeah. So far out. I don't want Conan Hayes sneaking up on my on this podcast chat with um with some sort of like trying to find the the real truth. You know, trying to expose the some sort of fraud. I can assure you, he's on it. Like, there's no doubt in my mind. He's on to you. He's looking in. You're in hot water. Oh, that's only the half of it. All right. Our top story this week is the lead up to the WSL finals at Lower Trestles. Huge. 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 What are your thoughts at this point? Well, the, the Cusp guys will probably go there. But one thing I think it's kind of just unsolicited advice for the WSL. But, and like I said, they might cover this. So I'm sorry if they do. But, I think they need to organize a blimp crash. Um, <laughs> in 1937, there was a blimp called the Hindenburg that crashed in my home state, New Jersey. And it was such big news that I feel like the WSL would be missing something if they don't organize some, I don't want to call it like a PR stunt, but just some sort of like international headline grabbing thing that kind of reels people in it's like oh hey there's a surf contest here too i mean you got the nuclear things right there that could be a, a uh, if you believe in this pr campaign i can get behind it i believe in it i believe in it who's your pick kelly slater good no I like I, you know what i can't help but think of kelly he's so synonymous with trestles and it just would have been so nice if you made the final five especially after his uh, initial film, his, his first film, Black and White, where he surfs out there and wins, and it's the morning of the final. And hey, bro, Ooh. time to go to the contest. Dude, the morning, it's the morning, the morning of the final. And Trestles is pumping, but I just when I think of Trestles, I just think of, I feel like it's the shoreline is just lined with his head. All those cobblestones just look like. Uh, hundreds of Kelly Slater clones that are 95% buried to me. I just think of that shoreline as being all these Kelly Slater skulls. And, yeah, I watched that edit that just came out yesterday and it's got everyone warming up out there in the free surf and and Kelly's out there just blitzing it. I, I just, he's just the first one that comes to mind. Well, that's only the half of it. Last week we talked about Surf 100. Uh, uh -huh. Since 
between now and then it aired. So I'd like to talk about Surf 100 for a minute. I was wrong there. I said MFEB would win. He did not. Mason Ho won, and it was a wonderful show. Yeah. I've got to be honest, I haven't seen it yet. I missed it live, and I've been on such a hectic deadline with a few things colliding that I didn't get a chance to miss it, and all these people are hitting me up going, that was so good, I love the show. Oh, my God, the open mic with Mason was so funny. I'm kind of there going like, oh, I know I I work at Stab, and I just definitely should have seen that, but I've just never been busier, so – yeah, I've, I feel feel shit out to everyone that we work with that worked on it and made it, including yourself. I'm sure you contributed. Well, to be fair, it's not the type of thing that you're going to like watch with half your mind while you're working on another task. You mm. know, it's like it's full attention. Like it's like sit down, put on a big screen, watch it in full. That that's how you have to experience it. There's no other way. But it's great. I didn't watch it live either. And I actually didn't have internet for a bit. I had to hotspot off my phone for like five days, so I couldn't download the thing. But once I was finally able to watch it in full, it's it's an experience. Um, the best way that I could put it, the way that it feels to me, is it almost feels like when you look at shows or other ways that surfing is kind of put out there, it, it feels so performative. It feels like people are trying to act a certain way and they're very staying in a lane where this almost feels like it's a conversation amongst friends or something. It feels like it's just so, so, so surfy in such a good way. Not like a dude gnarly way. Just it, it, you feel like you're at home. It's like you're privileged to a conversation with your heroes that you never would be, I guess, is that's kind of the whole concept. And there's so little, there's so little hoopla around the actual surf event when it happens that those guys are so relaxed. And then the commentary is, is another fairly low key thing, but when it's packaged up together, it's it's this incredible event. Yes, yes. Where would you like to see one? Um, I think a cold water spot. It's so appealing to watch people surf in boardies. They're so inviting. But I think, I mean, you started. You told me you started watching that show alone. And oh it, yeah, he's the most. I only watched the first fifteen minutes of the show last night, and I started falling asleep. But I'm just already just like this is the best show I've ever seen. And I just would, in the world. I think we need to bring in a Surf 100 alone style situation where they they have to fight grizzly bears just to get into the water, and then you know they're out there naked. I guess I don't know. I haven't really. Uh, so a cold water spot would be nice. Where would you like to see one? I mean, I'm definitely not above the idea of getting everybody naked at a cold water spot. Let's <laughs> let's just throw that out there. I'm, we're on the same page, first of all. But I'd like to see one. I'd say Super Tubos in Portugal. Mm. It's when that wave is on, it's spitting lefts and rights every set. It's you'd have to be kind of a psychopath to hit an air section there when it's big, but there are some psychopaths among us, so let's not rule that out. I mean, Gabby did that one straight air there on a small day that was like eight feet in the air. On yeah, the that was rig. crazy. I don't know if you remember that, but yeah, I do. Yeah, when that thing is small, it's like the most perfect ramp you could ask for. I don't think you'd want to run it there when it's small. I think you'd want it to be, like I said, spitting tubes both ways. But even when it's doing that, you can find the rare section that if you're like really just don't like your MCL at all and you're just like, fuck it, I'll get a new one, <laughs> then have at it because it'll take you to the moon. Oh, man, I know so much about knees, so much more about knees than I do any other body part, meniscus, MCL. Oh, that's all I know, patella. But people, there's just a shitty invention, huh? They just fall apart so easily. And, yeah, it's crazy how much knee lingo you hear. I don't want to 
I don't want to go there because I've been pretty lucky so far in my life. And so I don't want, if my knees listen to this, I don't really want them hearing me. Oh, that's only the half of it. Did you see, we got an email from this guy who there's like a soundbite I've been using to separate the, the news, the, the stories that we do. And it, it's actually, uh, I, I was just, I was editing and it says like, I don't know if you've ever listened back to the episodes, but it says like, that's only the half of it. And I just edited it with a little beat. It was actually like something out of a Gidget trailer or something. I just found one second last minute when I was editing a thing. And then one guy emailed us and said, hey, I love the podcast, but that soundbite is so annoying. So uh, it's out. I've got to find a new one. Any suggestions? Ah, uh, that that guy kicked us out. I don't know. Let me think. I, I didn't mind it. Well, I guess that that one guy. If you hate the sound enough to write in, I saw that. Yeah, that's uh, that's hatred of a sound. It's best to always overcorrect on any negative feedback. So it's gone. All right, Danny. Let's talk about the release of the Curious Tales of Italo Ferreira. Let's you do it. You said you've been a busy man. So I'm not sure if you've had time to watch the 50-minute film yet, but it is spectacular. Yeah, I, I did notice. I went to click on it and it was 49 minutes and 28 seconds or something and it's on my list. I, I Just like you said, you can't find – people try and find excuses to, to think Gabby's not going to win. I, I think it's borderline impossible to find any excuses to why Italo Fer- Ferreira is a, isn't, not a, isn't, isn't a great human. Meu nome é Italo Ferreira, tenho 13 anos. Os gringos que eu mais gosto é o Mick Fanny. Ele é um monstro mesmo. But when he first dyed his hair, I, I asked him if he was trying to be like me. <laughs> I had heard little bits and pieces about Italo. His surfing was really raw, super unpredictable. Ninguém chega onde ele chegou. It's directed by a Brazilian filmmaker named Luisa de Moraes. And it's a lot of it's shot in Italo's hometown. Uh, the Bayou Formosa, and it just lets you into that world in a way that, like, you've heard stories and stuff about, okay, he grew up in a little fishing village, and he's always posting stuff from Instagram on there, but, like, it's down to the details where, like, they're interviewing the the butcher in this small town about, like, how he feels about Italo's story, and they're interviewing all these characters that you just would not hear from otherwise and it feels very intimate and you really get to see him through, you get to like contextualize who he is through this hometown. It's all in Portuguese with subtitles and it's great. I mean, there's obviously good surfing in there, but you're not watching it for the surfing. If you want to see him surf, just watch Instagram or pretty much any single time he paddles out with the jersey on, except when he goes against Gabe in like three days and loses. <laughs> I, I read the article with the director and there's this one did, – did you interview her? Mikey. Oh, Mikey her. did. Yeah, so Mikey interviewed the director and there's this one question he asked in there about, about the hometown and how not, not everyone was happy about his success and that kind of blew me away. I had this, I had this image in my head of just Italo coming from this small town and being so celebrated but that's not exactly the case for 100% of the people. Is that right? It's right, yeah. And in that interview, she even talks about things that she couldn't, little stories that she couldn't include into the film. But I think that's just a result of him getting to a level of wealth that was probably unheard of in that place beforehand. And just all of a sudden you see nicer cars, nicer things. There's just, I don't know, envy it is. Yeah. I think it even says that in the film. 
it's just people being envious. So, I mean, the sense is overall that people love him there and he's a hero. Yeah. But anytime you're really successful, you're going to have some people that are envious. We also have on Stat Premium an interview with Italo, who's a very elusive character to hear from. The piece is titled that the piece is titled uh, Italo Ferreira prefers not to talk about himself because that is very true. It's something that they cover in the film, and it's something you could sense in the film, and that Luisa even talks about. But I think the biggest takeaway in our interview with him is that he is so so far from being finished. I mean. The film shows this too, but I think for a lot of people, you got the sense that he exploded on the scene as this unheard of guy. That he didn't know if he was going to win, lose. Who is this guy? Oh shit, he's pretty good. In his mind, he was always going to be a world champion. There's hmm. no, no, no question about that. Even him having like not winning an event immediately was hard for him. It's something he struggled with. So his mind was always set on being completely dominant. And now that he's already won a world title and an Olympic gold medal, he says in our interview that he's going to win as many of both as he can. And so we're going to have a hungry Italo Ferreira on the scene for a very long time. I hope he goes the route of Slater. Another question we asked in there is, what do you, what's your life going to look like at, at 50? And he just said surfing. And so I hope he continues surfing on the WSL or whatever it becomes in 23 years <laughs> until he's Slater's age and – that's what I want out of him. I don't know if that's uh, selfish, but that's, that's my desire. And I do think there's a nice segue here into another story. Another story is that every person is quitting pro surfing. There are just no more pro surfers left on the tour. What is going on? I'm not sure. I think the top five is just the only people who are left. Like I think they got lucky because I'm pretty sure there's only like five people <laughs> that are still doing it. <laughs> and the WSL is like shit, dodge the bullet there. Yeah. So the latest the the latest person to well, he's not calling it retirement, but he's he's calling it a break, is Jack Freestone. So he's he's just packed it in. And the thing that I can't can't quite understand is people go through this really tough year where it's really difficult to travel and it's way more grueling than normal. The tour life is completely out of sync because there's suddenly the routine's gone, people are visiting new destinations and it is significantly harder in, in particular for Australians who have to quarantine upon re-entry into the country. But I feel like that year's kind of done, right? Like travel's going to open back up really soon. Are these people going to regret quitting the tour, do you think? Well, first of all, let's let's just stop with this break thing, okay? What are we, just boyfriend, girlfriend in college? We're kidding ourselves. Break? <laughs> Come on. Like, it's oh, break. There's so many uh, – it's so funny how when you're young, it takes a little while to learn that you need to be cruel to be kind in a breakup. If, when you try and like softly break <laughs> up with someone and just like, I just like feel so good about you, but I just – don't know if I really want to be in this relationship right now. And then you're stringing it along and you make it so much worse because you're just confusing the hell out of this other person. It's just so unfair. And it takes you a little bit of maturity until you're like, hey, uh, I'm going to be somewhat mean or seem mean right now, but it's going to be better for the long term. And I feel like all these surfers need to do that to themselves. Yes, end of the WSL. I mean, yeah, let's I mean, recap on who, on who's – either out the door or a foot out the door. We 100% lost Adriana Souza, Jeremy Flores. They both said they're gone, forever, yeah. done. Great careers, both of them. Mikey Wright, 
I don't know if he's break territory or I'm off competition territory. I think it's more the off competition for potentially ever. Yeah, I think he's done. Sure. Yeah. Jack, a break. Julian, a break. Ace, a break. Michelle, (laughs) got a decision to make. Which, come on, like a decision to make. Who? Who's going to chase the the CS at, after like a great career? I don't know. And Owen too. I mean, I think Owen still needs to make a decision. So really, there are just no more pro servers. <laughs> the whole tour gets replaced by the QS in one foul swoop. I like that. It's a t- total reset. A sneaky thing that's happening right now is the... It's I guess it's the CS now, Challenger Series, but the US Open goes on September 20th. Like it's it's going to come around quick. We're 10 days out from the start of that that new series and I think the finals is taking so much attention right now, but that's going to be something that people actually talk about and watch now I think now that it's restructured. Maybe not Heinen because you know, <laughs> but it goes to France and Portugal after that. And if the ocean starts to cooperate on this in this northern Atlantic again, you know, it could be firing. If there's firing waves at one of those locations and you have that level of talent, I don't think anybody's missing that broadcast. Like if Lagravier is cooking, even if it is a CS and there's a few CT guys and whatever, everybody I know is watching that. Yeah, the fact that it wasn't just that the tours were running simultaneously before, that the CT and the QS would run at the same time. It was just the amount of events and how tricky it was to get your head around where it was happening. But now that the tours don't overlap and there's less events, I'm definitely following that. I can't wait to see what's happening there and really buy into the stories of who's going to qualify for the next year on tour because the qualification stories to me, there's only one world champ, there's only – I mean, this year is slightly different because there's five coming into the final day, but typically there's one or two people, maybe three or four, maybe a couple of people with outside chances that can win the world title. But the qualification stories with people on the cusp, not the cusp podcast, the cusp of the tour, either about to qualify or not, and then that same storylines on the on the QS, to me they're, they're some of the better and more fascinating stories that we can that we can buy into that aren't told that well that often. So I feel like it's going to be an opportunity to really – kind of figure that out because, well, I mean, maybe maybe that's old, outdated thinking, but because no one wants to be on tour anymore. Like all these people are going to qualify from the championship series and then just retire straight away because no one wants that job. Well, I think we should go on the record right now and just claim the drop as the world's first official Challenger Series fan podcast. <laughs> um, I think we have something going here. And so we'll keep our audience updated. We'll be we'll be CS fans. Yeah, let's specialize on that. Fans. It's about time we figured out an angle for this podcast. Hey, on that, just really All quickly, right. I'd love to know when when I heard Jack retire and there's just been this domino effect of surface just going down. You must feel a little, must be a little tough to draft up that Instagram text when so many people have already done it. It's hard to it's hard to have an impact when with a retirement Instagram post these days, but. It made me think, and this isn't reference. To, this isn't in reference to Jack in any way, because he had a lot of great moments. Came second to John John, two thousand sixteen in Brazil. A couple of third place finishes. He's had like some and some amazing surfing on tour. But do you think there's anyone that's qualified, been on tour for multiple years, and then just regretted it and just like had a shit of a time because they just didn't make it through any heats? 
you could build an argument around that being close to the case of Mikey Wright. I know his yeah. route to qualification was super interesting, but before he got on tour, he was dropping consistently must-watch movies, and then he focused on competition for a while and was so into that that he wasn't going to go out and free surf and try crazy shit and hurt himself. And now I think he's realizing, well, hey, that's what I want to do. Like, kind of want to surf unleash. So I think that's probably the closest, like, modern example of that. But I'm sure there's some historic ones. Mm. Mm-hmm. I would think probably, I bet that was the case, like, just the whole, because, like, the Mikey of the generation before that was Ben Dunn. Mm-hmm. And I think probably, like, Ben Dunn must have looked at his his time on tour as like really limiting his surfing instead of putting out those edits that had became kind of iconic. (laughs) Uh... (laughs) At first I was like, what is he saying? Like, does he... Regardless of the WSL finals, we have a new world champion. We have an SURF world champion official. Oh, we do. Jake Vincent. Yeah. Yeah. Jake Vinny won it. I spoke to him today, actually. And he was, I mean, he knew he won because we, we filmed this a while ago. And obviously, it's only now that anyone who's followed the series and is watching has found out because we tried to keep it under wraps. And, and Vinny, won, Vinny wins at the end of the final episode. And, um, it's, it's kind of nice that it's out there now. He's getting all these like random DM text messages from complete strangers like going, yeah, man, I was, I was backing you the whole time, you know? So it's good. It's, a little, it's almost like a little taste of a, a, like you said, it's a world title. I mean, yeah, whoever wins that lower is going to be living in his shadows for sure, <laughs> um, which will be a tough thing for them to deal with. But I liked it a lot. I think every episode had like a, a clear like, Thing that need to be resolved, like a clear kind of tension point that I don't know. I I liked it a lot, and I think especially the the trading a case of beer and what was it, fifty or hundred bucks for a board? Yeah, hundred dollars Australian thing was yeah. like, yeah. I don't know. I thought I thought every challenge had enough. Like I was in it for the storytelling more than the surfing. The one critical thing I w- will say though is. The song at the end of the last episode, I can't get it out of my head now. And it's, I liked it when I watched it, but I don't like it being in my head forever. And that's a problem. <laughs> oh, you mean the song, the Vinny, the Vinny song? Yeah, the Vinny song. Like I said, I enjoyed it. And now it's just still bouncing around there. I'm like, you don't belong in here. Go back. To yeah. Where you came from. Like, that's funny. It's, uh, it, it's funny that it's actually stuck in your head because. The whole when when I was making the show, I felt like oh, some of the some of the best storytelling moments are going to come in previous episodes. So, uh, you know that concept recency bias. Like if you if you went on a holiday, for example, and then I think Mikey gave this example in a previous episode of Cuss, but and you had a fight with your wife on the last night, you might remember the the holiday really differently because at the very whatever happens at the very end is how we sort of base our memories. Like you can hang out with someone and be an asshole, but then just say something really nice to them at the end, and they'll probably be influenced by that quite significantly because of recency bias. And so I was like, "Oh, we need to end this show with something 
kind of decent that sums up the whole thing. And I just found Vinny's reaction when he wins to just be so funny. This is fucked up. Look at these guys. <laughs> yeah, Vin. Woo! Good work. Oh, this is the best day of my life. <laughs> <laughs> I love this town. So I was like, oh, I'm going to turn it into a song. And so I, I can't, I don't have the time, like kind of producer skills to do that. So I hit my brother up and he like... And you might listen to that and go, oh, that's just the most basic music ever. But like I was, I was editing the final episode and, and um, over the weekend and he was just like, he dedicated his entire weekend. He was up till like two in the morning sending me versions going like this. And I'm like, no, nah, man, I think like we need to like more thud <laughs> on the bass drum, you know. <laughs> and, and it's just one of those stupid internet style remixes, but I'm stoked that it got stuck in your head. I, I, I feel like we were successful in that point. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's a huge, that's like the point of an internet remix song, right? Is to get stuck in somebody's head. So you achieved that. So good job to you and your brother. Oh, thanks. Thanks for, thanks for, you know, maybe not positively affecting my day. We'll see how long it sticks around for. But (laughs) like I said, great song to experience once. Just don't want it lingering up here. And right now it is. Oh, shit, that's good. Oh, this is the best Sorry about that, but you know I can't help but be slightly proud by by knowing that it's hovering around in your head. Yeah, well, you, you know it was can be it, proud of that. The best the best thing about Vinny winning was just that reaction. Like everyone everyone is so low key, but Vinny had, had drunk more beers than anyone um, the afternoon when we announced <laughs> the, the winner, and he'd also. <laughs> The best thing was, do you, so when, when we were filming this, remember that whole GameStop thing? There was that stock, GameStop, a bunch of all these people basically decided to invest in this fairly worthless stock. So this stock that had no value and just prop its value up and just like basically completely fuck with the stock, stock market. All right, boy. This here's what happened over at GameStop. GameStop is a struggling video game retailer that because of a stock market frenzy captivated the world brought hedge funds to their knees and flipped upside down what Wall Street, that's the suits, thought of small-time retail investors, that's us. Millions of small-time investors from the Reddit page Wall Street Bets gobbled up stock from the floundering chain, sending the price soaring and forcing institutional investors who bet against the company to back out, performing what is known as a short squeeze. The phenomenon where short sellers are forced to repurchase stock as it rises 
thereby pushing the price higher and higher, netted some GameStop investors a gain north of a thousand percent in a few short months. Some made millions. Hooey boy. At the same time, them their hedge funds betting against GameStop were getting their teeth kicked in, losing billions. The entire saga has now reached cult status, is becoming a movie, is the center of investing meme culture, and has even made its way to Stab's very own S-U-R-F. And Vinny, who's someone who's completely unaware of that world of tech or anything like that, got a text message from a friend and and told him to invest in GameStop and he did it and he made a shit ton of cash out of it. I mean, a shit ton meaning like I think he put like a couple of hundred bucks in and it went up to – and as soon as, he, as soon as he announced he wins, he's like, yes. And Aussie at the same time was like, you should put it into GameStop. And then Vinny, so he's winning and I don't know if you can remember in the show, but he's yelling out, GameStop, baby. <laughs> I'm a money making machine. <laughs> He's like screaming that out. And so, yeah, it's so good. That's why he's like, I'm a money-making machine. That's it. That's in the song as well. So he like, he was so fired up when he won because he was like, he couldn't believe that he'd had these, like Vinny's just kind of kicking around doing odd jobs, you know, like he's studying horticulture and he goes and works at a woodmill and he gets paid a little bit from Misfit to surf and he kind of just scraps around, you know, and lives a pretty low-key life. And then suddenly in the space of like a couple of days, he just... I mean, it might have even been that day he just made all this money. And he was telling us about it. I was like, hey, man, you should probably sell that stock. Like that doesn't actually have any real value. That's going to come down drastically. And he's like, what? And he's like, I was like, yeah, man, like that's not a real thing. He had no idea what it was. And he just stumbled into all his money. And then like, and then he wins another 10. And he didn't expect to win, you know, like he, he was surfing against Solly and, and you know, fucking around. Uh, and he's like, he had an injured knee, so for the finless one, so he was he could only goat boat, he could only sit, and so yeah, it was it was so good when he won because he was so animated <laughs> and screaming, and I guess that was what inspired the song. Is I just thought his his reaction was so good. Oh, that is an amazing story! Wow, he just thought, oh well, it made I made a couple thousand dollars, like I, I just keep it there, right? Like no, 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 out. <laughs> He didn't even know. He forgot what it, he was telling us the story actually, and he didn't even know what it was called. He was like, "Yeah, I invested in something," and then, and one of the filmers, Harry Triglund, was like, "Do you mean GameStop?" And he was like, "Oh, that's it. That's what it's called." <laughs> it's like he was giving giving us investment advice, and we're like, "Oh man, that's not a real thing." Like, <laughs> oh my god. Well, look at him now. He's a world champion. He is. An investment guru. Investment uh, guru, yeah. The oracle of where is he from? Oh, he's he's from the Sunshine Coast originally. Okay, the oracle of the Sunshine Coast. That doesn't have a great ring, but no. Let's talk about surf sins. So, I have an update. I heard from Teddy. I heard from the longboard painter, and he started on his penance. I, I think that a lot of times people think we just throw these ideas out there and it's just fun, but Teddy wrote the letter. Okay, hold on. Let's let's refresh let's refresh to anyone who hasn't who didn't 
here last week's episode. So Teddy sent in a three-minute voicemail that you would assume would be too long for a surf sin, and it is typically, but Teddy just had this bizarre story of stealing, borrowing a board, never giving it back, painting it, and then refusing to give it back, and then one day just throwing it over the fence. And then he's from your hometown and he reached out to you and, and he had like this bad blood with his best friend and his best friend's dad and he's, he's made good? He's made good. He wrote the letter. He went over there. And like I said, now I have a photo of him with the guy whose longboard he stole and he's got the letter and they look happy. I think they've, I think they've made peace amongst each other. They've made peace with the situation. So... We do allow people to heal here. <clears throat> we do allow people to heal, you know. And, and Teddy, that was one of our, that was our craziest surf sin. And if Teddy can heal, anybody can heal. Yeah, it's given everyone hope. I'm gonna do a follow up on the site just with more <laughs> of the story and more of the process of you know what it was like when he went over with the letter, the photo that has him and the guy is great but what i really need what the people really need is a photo of this longboard because i thought about that again and can you just imagine a spray painted black longboard for a second (laughs) 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 that thing is gonna look so hideous and so we need a photo of that to really tell teddy's teddy's tale but he's healing and we're really happy for him but we have another surf sin, another person who needs to go on a healing journey. And let's hope that we can get them to where they need to go as well. All right, let's hear it. Hey, Danny and Buck. This is Skylar from Signal Hill, California, here to confess my surf sin. I moved to Southern California about 10 years ago. Noticed all the surfers in the water, discovering everything here in California and realized I needed to learn more about surfing and ended up getting really, really into it. Uh, Wanted to learn more about waves, wanted to learn about swells, tides, and then getting into the competitions and learning about the surfers, learning about the culture, learning about uh, WSL and the tour and really getting into it competitively. Um, So all that's great, but the thing that's a sin for me I am terrible in the water. And in fact, I've only touched a surfboard in the water one time. And of course, it was as a tourist in Waikiki. So that is my sin. I feel like if I'm to be a real, quote unquote, real surfer, I should be on the board, feet in the wax, doing the thing. Um, But for now, I'm really nothing more than a fan. So is that a sin? Is there a place for people like me? Love to hear your thoughts. Thanks. All right, Buck. That one snuck up on me a little bit. I didn't – I've never heard of this scenario before. And I'm, on a personal level, it's certainly not a sin to me, but we will need to give it penance. It's it's officially a sin now to, on, on, you know, to Skylar, and that's what really matters here. What did you make of that? I'm with you in that. The first listen you – you're trying to take it all in. You're trying to figure out, you know, which sin specifically he committed. And my gut was like, this almost sounds like more of a martyr situation, which is like, this is kind of the ideal surfer. Somebody Mm. who's going to watch the WSL, maybe buy some products, Mm -hmm. but never actually compete with waves. Like I'm pretty sure that's like, Oh yeah. He's the WSL's target. 
No, he's our target as well, though. I mean, like anyone who works in the surf industry on any level, we're all dancing with the devil a little bit because promoting surfing and and basically jeopardizing this very limited resource of waves by promoting it and making more people do it and then reducing the ability for people to enjoy the ocean is, you know, it's a hard thing to rationalize. But to know that there's people like Skylar out there that are consuming information about surfing but never never stealing any waves off anyone, never even competing for waves, never even ent- entering the water other than the odd sesh at Waikiki, I, I, I just, that is just music to my ears. That is just the guilt just totally just abolished from my life. Yeah, and so I think we are on the same page with trying to figure out, okay, like where, what do we do with this one, right? And... Mm. The more I thought about it, especially, you know, we talked about how just good surfing is for you and how many of these unintentional side effects, you positive side effects you get from doing it. And so I'm going to say it is a sin not to surf. At the end of the day, mm. that's a sin. I think Skyler's got to surf and I think he's got to figure it out to the point where like he intentionally burns somebody. <laughs> the real, the ultimate surf experience. Learn. Yeah, like you can't learn and just get in somebody's way or maybe you didn't look or maybe you couldn't really pull off and whatever because you didn't have enough skills to figure that out. I think he needs to commit to learning whatever it takes, get good enough to be able to just be paddling into maybe a nice left, maybe a fun right, look over his shoulder, see something just be like, yeah, I'm going. And I think that's what it's going to take because for so long he's been contributing good to our world without taking he needs to take it's not it's about restoring balance more than anything right yeah the I, sin that's, is it, that's true but i feel like we have this beautiful scenario now like he's, he's surfing's really fun he's going to fall in love with it he's going to be another guy out there at lowers getting in the in you know competing with gabby and italo and carissa when they're trying to warm up for this event it's it's this perfect scenario right now so i think if he's got to go surfing he's got to do it like VR surfing. He's got to get a VR headset on and he's got to go surfing from a VR point like experience. I'm sure there's a game. This perfect situation just remains the same. Okay, okay. Well, I know. Maybe we can have competing penances. Maybe, maybe. I mean, I'm not opposed to the idea of him surfing in real life with a VR setup on. I don't know if they're waterproof, but... That's what if it you is. You want to go separate? We can. That's okay, 100%. Fine. Let's go together then. No, that's that's genius. Surfing, actually surfing while wearing a, a heads, VR headset with a surfing game on it. It's like it's the ultimate sensory experience. You know, even if the waves are shit, I'm going to start doing that. And Skylar, our last surf scene was actually acted on, completed, and resolved. And, and if you do the same, which I. I hope you do, then please document this if you do go surfing with the VR headset on because we need to <laughs> we need to share in that experience. We need to know, yeah. Just good luck, Skylar. I think that <laughs> uh, it took some back and forth, but we made your path forward he- uh, pretty clear for you to heal. So we'll figure it out. 
Thanks, Bark. Please send your surf sins into either myself or Bark. Both our emails are in the episode description. Bark at stabmag.com or Danny at stabmag.com. You can even hit us on Instagram direct with a voice memo. Try and keep it 30 seconds long. That was Ryan Miller who gave us a little insight into the history behind GameStop rather than listening to me trying to fumble through a def- definition of, of what happened there. Ryan's actually got a really good story on the site at the moment on Stab Premium. It's a, it's a conversation with another brilliant photographer, Morgan Masson. It's called My First Million. Is surf photography still a viable occupation? And then the, the sub to that is two surf media moguls turn multi-millionaires discuss the state of the surf industry and the swell of the year, which I highly recommend reading. It's a, it's a fascinating read on an ever-changing industry and what might be a dying art. But enough of that. Let's hear from Mike and Stace. Let's talk world titles. Well, 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 Stace Galbraith, uh, welcome back to the Stab Cusp. That is the currently untitled surf podcast, uh, almost two years running now. And this might be one of our biggest, most important episodes to date. I think it has to be. I think we've made it to the decider of the 2021 world title event. Uh, I'm pretty frothing, apart from the fact I'm going to have to get up in the middle of the night. Yeah, that's right, huh? Because it'll probably start California morning, which will be not a good time for you. Sorry about that. That's all right. We had a good start to the year, and you guys copped the raw end of that deal, and now the tide has turned, as it as it does in surfing. Yeah. Well, we have a lot of things to talk about, but just in the interest of time and interest, should we maybe just start off by saying who we think is going to win this thing? I'd love to do that. I've been thinking about it a lot, and I, I think I'm pretty certain on who's going to win, but I'm going to let you go first. Oh, all right. Put me on the hot seat. Um, well, you know, I've been looking at stats. I've been watching videos from lowers. I've been thinking about kind of the, the psychological components of each of the different surfers involved on both sides of the draw. And I've come to the conclusion that um, Felipe Toledo is going to defy all odds and become the men's world champion 2021 first of his career and on the women's side i just can't see carissa losing it's just she's too good the wave suits her too well she's got too much history out there and the only person who i see kind of having that same level as her has to surf three heats first and I just don't know if they're going to have the gas in the tank to take her down after all that. So, yeah, I'm Felipe Carissa. I'm not angry about those predictions. I'd, I'd be frothing to see both of those two lift the title. I agree with you on the Carissa front. I think there's just too many heats between her and, and the big threats to, to really uh, give her any damage uh, when it comes to that best of three at the end there. And then for me in the men... I'm going to stick with the same sort of situation as uh, as what we said about Carissa just being too good. I, I think Gabriel is too good. Um, although the free surf clips that we've been seeing might say otherwise, but I think I've said it before and I'll say it again. He He's the master of, uh, of tapering into events and he tends to not do his best surfing in the free surfs, potentially on purpose, and then really pulls it all out in in his heats yeah there could be something to that um but you know 
one of our part-time, or not part-time, but one of our contract writers, Lincoln Ether, did a deep dive into some stats this week that also lean in Felipe's favor. Um, and if you don't mind, I think we should get into that a little bit because as much as it's easy to say, oh, you know, what does surf competitions of the past really have to do with the present? At the same time, like, I don't know, numbers don't lie that often. So, um, yeah, here, here we go. So, Felipe Toledo has the highest average heat score of any of the five males in this event. Um, his is 16.23, and the next closest is Gabby with 14.83. He also has the most wins of any of these men in Trestle CT events. Um, none of the other surfers have one, so I guess that was pretty easy for him. But he also has a pretty good record against Gabby. So Felipe and Gabby have surfed against each other five times in their career head-to-head, and he's got three wins to Gabby's two. Um, You know, and Gabby doesn't have a losing record against too many people, so I think that that is definitely indicative of, I don't know if it's necessarily, you know, a psychological lead that Felipe has over him, but he's definitely got something going on. I know what you're going to say. Obviously, Felipe doesn't just have to beat Gabby. He actually has to beat the winner of the Connor Morgan heat, which in my mind will be a non-issue. He also has to beat Italo. Um, he and Italo have actually had eight heats against one another head-to-head, and they have four wins apiece. However, to me, again, Felipe is just so much stronger at a wave like lowers, um, where obviously they both have the air game, but on the face, to me, I mean, Felipe is just so much sharper, especially in the forehand. Um, and, you know, granted, Italo could always pick off a really nice right and just go upside down four or five times and drop a nine. But to me, especially watching some of that YouTube stuff that had come out, um, I just want to see when I'm at lowers, I want to see somebody tearing the face apart. I don't want to see somebody pumping to a section and doing an air. It's just not how you're supposed to surf that wave. And I think that that's how he'll beat Italo, and I think that that's how he'll beat Gabby as well. It's just on the face with really strong, powerful rail surf. I I like your pick, and I, I think to your point, the judges, they want to see both. They don't just want to see the air. They want to see as hard as you can go rail surfing with that big air, and we, we definitely know Philippe's um, capable of that. I would like to, though... <laughs> make a point to something you said earlier though about what you can't put into stats and that's the psychology of the the athletes and i'm just really leaning pretty heavily on the fact that gabriel's been here the most out of anyone as far as being in a world title race Uh, i know no one's been in this situation before but gabriel medina's basically been in the title race since he's been on tour he came up short in 2019 he's been so dominant this year I just think that fire inside him is just going to be burning out of control. I know Italo has a crazy record against Gabby this year. Uh, my bad. He has a crazy record against Gabby full stop. But this year, Gabby's got him twice already. So I just think that the momentum's with Gabriel. And yeah, I really do think that he, he under undersurfs in his warm-ups. So um, on the point of psychology, yes, you're right. I'd say Gabby is the most like kind of like terminator minded like sort of mick fanning just zones in when it matters and makes it happen and obviously he's been in the situation a lot of times however you have to consider the fact that he has everything to lose in this event 
and everybody else has everything to gain and nobody more so than Felipe Toledo who has also been in world title races in the last event of the season before but that was always a pipeline where he was never expected to perform well and he never did or has really performed that well. Lower trestles is all he could ever ask for as a final venue um, and that's not to you know diminish his skills he's obviously an incredible incredible surfer but like if I'm Felipe, I'm looking at this year as like my first real chance to win a world title. And I don't think he's going to let that slip because who knows where the WSL finals are going to be next year. With this new system, it can either really play into his favor or it could not. And it all really depends on where that last event is. And I think that this one just has his name written all over it. I really appreciate what you've said just there but I think what you said just fucks up your argument completely because I think that's exactly why he will lose <laughs> you, so you think he can't handle the pressure of feeling like he is the favorite at that wave so you're saying that Gabby has everything to lose but nothing is ever lined up more perfectly for Philippe I would say you're spot on and that's why he won't win and a Gabriel will. got it yeah I mean it does really seem like pressure it's just like water off a duck's back for Gabby like he just does not care and he's so clutch, like, he'll just make things happen. But at the same time, it's like, can you really make things happen at lowers? You are really reliant on getting a good wave and surfing it good from start to finish. One big air is not going to do it for you. You can't get a psycho tube. You can't find a, a weird runner. Or I guess you can find a weird runner sometimes. But, like, I don't know. It's just, it's a very straightforward wave. And you're weaknesses get exposed really quickly and i think at a wave like this gabby has more weaknesses than yeah Felipe. You, you're probably not wrong technically and like let's call philippe surfing for for what it is and he's the best on the tour at carving a wave face into a pulp no doubt in my mind and i think it's pretty widely agreed upon but it's not just when the waves are in the small to medium range like the guy won margaret river this year the guy knows how to surf big waves and he knows how to surf them well he just hasn't quite proven himself yet in the barreling waves of the tour it's not to say he can't surf them he's still just figuring it out and i think his win at margaret river this year kind of shows that the guy's got game when the waves get big like Margaret River was huge this year. Crew was saying it was the biggest they've ever surfed in heats. So he's definitely got it all. But I think, like what you said, him him trying to win a title at Pipe is going to be a lot harder than winning a title at Trestles. And I just am interested to see how he handles that. Um, I'm a huge fan of his surfing, but I think this situation is going to be pretty monumental for everyone. And yeah, I, I can't see right, Gabe letting enough. this one go. Um, so on the point of that uh, that YouTube video we brought up, we actually had Jimmy Kane, Jimmy Wilson, down at Lowers this week, um, actually working on kind of a premium story that's going to be coming out, um, maybe even before this podcast does, but basically just you know providing some real on-site insights about what the top 10 or top five men and top five women surfers are doing what they're looking like, what they're talking about, blah, 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 down and lowers, like just really kind of insider. And he happened to also just record a ton of waves as well. So we put it up on our YouTube and people seem to like it a lot. But for me, the biggest takeaway is 
you have all these incredible surfers that are at the top of the sport and are vying for a world championship and somehow 49 year old kelly slater is out surfing every single one of them is that what you saw as well or am i just like do i have nostalgia just glaring out of my eyes whatever you have going on i've got the same thing i was freaking out on how good he was surfing he was proper ripping and i think heat number whatever it is needs to be mick fanning v kelly slater and the winner of that takes on morgan sibilic yeah that seems fair and and that was actually how i came to my conclusion that felipe would win because felipe is not even in that video apparently he served earlier in the day before it was filmed but it just made me realize that i just don't care about watching gabby do you know error verses on the left or Italo doing air reverses on the right. You know what I mean? Like, I just, all I want to see is somebody dig their rail as hard as possible into that wave and, you know, take unique lines and create, like, sharp angles and stuff. And, and I just, I don't know. That was my big thing is I just, I, this is not going to be an air contest, I don't think. I really don't. No, I, I agree. The, the trestles brings out everyone's flow or lack thereof. And uh, I don't think anyone comes harder off the bottom or deeper than Kelly Slater out there. And it's not a particularly steep wave, but he makes it steep. And he, where he puts his turns and, like you said, how sharp he is on his edge, it's so, you know, you say it's like wanting to see someone draw a unique line or something, but it's really only unique compared to the top sort of crop at the moment who seem to have the pump-pump air game. Whereas just that traditional up and down surfing, which we're sort of seeing less and less of in the last sort of half a decade, it's still amazing for me and, and you to watch. And I think that that video, that video really showed it. I think I saw maybe the equipment of Carissa and Gabe. I don't know if it was just, I only watched that video on my phone, but it looked like they'd gone a little more refined in their boards um, to maybe try and, and pull some of that off. Some of the turns that I saw Carissa uh, rip into there, you know, she's so beautiful on a long drawing big carve, but I saw a couple of really nice tight turns. And then same with Gabriel on the backhand, he was like turning really late in the lip and kind of cutting out a lot of those calves. He's got such a strong backside carve, but you're never going to get above a six out there unless you actually get upside down. And I think, um, yeah, I think both of the top, uh, top seeds equipment, Chris and Gabe was looking was looking really good, but I still think Slater was getting the better of them. <laughs> All right, so now on the women, it sounds like we agree on Carissa, but th- we do actually have some stats to back that up as well, and these stats are even more kind of convincing, I would say, than the male stats. So, like I said, Lincoln Ether uh, did the work on these, so can't take credit for that, but. He went back and looked at, you know, past years at lowers, past years across the top five women's entire careers, and it's really just a big old Carissa show. Um, So, for instance, we look at all-time heat averages. Um, Interestingly enough, Sally's is higher than Steph's. So Sally has 13.05, Steph has 12.82. Then we go look at Carissa... And she's at 14.48, just leagues and leagues above them. I mean, like two points above these women, basically. Um, and then at Trestles, she's at 15.3 heat total. And um, Sally is at 14.48, which is also pretty high. 
Steph's at 15.26, also really high. Steph and Sally are both gonna have to surf multiple heats before they come up against a completely fresh Carissa. Um, it's hard for me to think that Carissa with truly just fresh legs is gonna be able to get beat by another woman who's surfing in a similar fashion to her. Which, of course, brings us to Tati, who is the sole goofy foot in this whole thing, and she's in the second seed, so she's technically the most likely surfer to go against Carissa in the final. And Tati's an incredible surfer. When she gets her backside going, it's great. She did well this year in an event on her forehand. She got second, um, so she can go both ways as well, but I, I just don't quite see her at the same level. So if you're Joanne or Steph and you've got to surf three hours in the water to win a world title, three hours of heat surfing, how do you think that is relative to a free surf in, in the number of hours you would spend in the water? Mm. Yeah, I've heard this question a lot and I feel like the average answer is you multiply it by maybe like three so you'd call it a nine-hour surf, maybe? I don't think I've ever seen Steph Gilmore surf for nine hours, unfortunately. As much as I want her to win her eighth world title, which is, just saying that sentence is incredible to think about. She's going for her eighth. That's so insane. Uh, and as a Aussie from the Gold Coast, I'm certainly cheering for her, but I just think finishing in fifth and having to surf in that first heat um, is going to be... It's going to be a tough, tough draw. Like heat surfing, you you know, uh, you, you see people come out of the water after one heat and they're they're putting everything into it. So it to do it all in in one day and have to surf potentially five or six times, well, that's going to be tough. Well, that was actually one of the most interesting findings uh, from Jimmy being down there. Is he talked to Steph a little bit and he asked her about that, and. I don't want to misquote her, so I'm going to paraphrase, but she said something along the lines of, well, yeah, you know, I obviously don't want to kill myself in the first couple heats, so my plan is to pretty much just get a couple eights and sit back and see what happens. Um, so she very well could play a very patient game, which might be her only chance, really, you know? If she has a 30-minute heat, maybe she gets one first wave with 10 minutes in second wave 20 minutes in and hopefully they amount to 15 or more points and that could be enough to get her through it's um as they say in dodgeball it's a bold strategy cotton Let's see how it works out for her as a middle-aged sports enthusiast and uh someone who's done no high level sport in their life but played a lot of just recreational fun sport the amount of times I've said to myself, I'm just going to go at 70% today. And then you jump on the court and you blow a knee out because you're going so hard. There's just no chance that these top surfers like Morgan or Connor or Steph or Joanne are going into that first heat going, oh, I know I've got Carissa or Gabe at the end, so I'm just going to like, you know, uh, take this one easy. Like if Trestles is four foot and consistent and firing, which the forecast looks really good, the surfer in Steph Gilmore is not going to be able to pull back on a wave after she's just got 16 points. She's going to go the what way. What if she just pulled a... Uh, well, I guess Parko didn't come in. He just switched his board. I was thinking back to that Kira event in... I guess it would have been 2012 where him and Slater... But in the semifinal, I think he was against like Michelle or something. 
and he got like a couple crazy tubes and he went in and dropped his magic board off to save it for the finals, which was like the biggest flex ever. But I wonder if Steph would ever just come in. Like, is it, do you, do you take that temptation away by literally just removing yourself from the source of it? I think that's the only way you can do it. And that would be reminiscent of Andy Irons doing that to Victor Ribas at Arica in Chile. He got 18 points in like the first three minutes and went, hey, this guy can beat me out here. He can have it. And he came in. <laughs> it's, um, yeah. Like, that's the only way you can do it. <laughs> do you think that would like, I don't know. Is that, for Andy, it works. Because Andy has kind of like a, like, no fucks given persona. But with Steph... She's a bit more straight-laced. Do you think Steph could, like, morally do that to her opponent? Yeah, I definitely think she can. She she presents as straight-laced, but at the end of the day, you know, she grew up in the northern New South Wales border town of Coolangatta Tweed Heads. She's got some gangster oh, in her. All right, well, I would love to see that. That would be an incredible headline for what will undoubtedly be an interesting finals day anyway. So um, I can't wait to watch. I hope it's on a weekday so that I get to blow a whole work day just watching that um sounds like the best way to spend my company's money okay i have a question for you there will be 56 roughly counting waves in this event how many do you think will be less counting waves as in like your two top scores yes looking at the forecast none just because it's going to be too good look the forecast looks amazing um the only problem they have with this forecast uh, and I'm not in in rhythm with uh, the swell heights over there at the moment. I think you need to be in a country and see what the forecast is and then what it looks like it, in real life before you can make a really educated decision on these things. But just reading it, the only problem they have is that it's going to be too big. So the the thing with that is that just, for me, takes the lefts out of a- equation comparing it to the right. Uh, the right is just far superior once it gets over that sort of, uh, well, you know, <laughs> much more scoring opportunity. So, yeah, I, I don't see any of the lefts um, coming into it. Zero. Uh, Love it. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, I mean, it feels weird to say that. Uh, I've, I've been there a few times when they've had the QS and... Um, yeah, Freestone one time went to town on the left. He's got like 18 points or something. He had a dream heat out there. But that was a different... That was a northeast wind swell and it was not a ground south swell. So, yeah, I don't... Um, I love the left. It's it's a great wave to watch and watch people do airs on. But when it's that size, nah. I don't see any All of right. the waves counting. I mean, I got to go with at least five. I think there's a number of surfers who could benefit from a kind of shorter wave that sounds kind of like rude but like i think like if if i'm morgan sibilic and i can do three big turns on a left that's going to be better than him doing six turns on a right for me if i'm judging i can't think of the last time someone did three vertical turns on that trestle's left when it's six did you not watch gabe kling (laughs) (laughs) i remember gabe kling but i didn't i can't recall yeah i I think that there is some value to like a to like a shorter, more succinct ride, like it, and you know just one two like and yeah maybe you're right maybe that wave doesn't actually exist on the left and it's just in my mind but I would rather see somebody just go bang 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 than like have this 
long stretched out thing where they're kind of floating over one section and then doing a half turn and then a big carve and then you know i don't mm. know depending on who they are i guess i know i know exactly what you mean and and like the tour judging would agree with you too like they they love it when you can put combinations of major maneuvers together but even with the video that was just put up by jimmy kane like there's still so much downtime in the middle of that left before you can slam it shut that it kind of to me just looks pretty similar to the right but shorter you know, like you have a you have a really nice first major, whether it's an air or a backside Rio, then a carve, then maybe a foam climb, and then a big finish. It's like, well, the right you can do that, but times two, so it sort of becomes just like a mathematical equation, really. But um, yeah, well, I guess we'll have to remember that little question and and bring it up at the final episode of our competitive season. Yeah, and see see where it ended right. up. Zero and five of counting scores. I people. Yeah, yeah, counting scores. Okay, cool. Perfect. Um, on the forecast, what do you, what do you make of it? Um, you're more onto it than me when it comes to the, these types of things in that uh, part of yeah, the world. Yeah, I would agree with you that my only concern is that it would be a little bit overloaded. Trestles doesn't like max out in the conventional sense that like it's unsurfable, but it just kind of misses the quote unquote reef a little bit, and it doesn't stand up as much, and you just get a lot of fat sets, which are just not good for like we just don't want to see people just doing a bunch of cutbacks the whole time. Um, this swell that we had the past few days that that YouTube video is based around was a lot smaller and it was probably a little smaller than they'd want it for the event. I think they wanted a little bit juicier just so there's more waves. Like if the biggest sets are a little bit too big, that's fine as long as there's a lot of medium ones. Um, but then you also have to contend with, you know, like if it is going to be too big, do you go on the front end of the swell when there's you know, maybe a little bit more energy, but maybe it's more lull. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's a big decision for the WSL to make because this day will not only determine the world champions this year, but it will kind of set the barometer for, like, whether this whole new system works or not, whether they like it or not. Um, but, you know, too many waves is a good problem to have, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. I'd love to see what they're going to do with um, this swell and, and like, what you said try and get it on the up or manage it on the decrease but they both have their challenges of whatever one you pick so it's a good problem to have though plenty of waves on tap which yeah leads you to what you said about the format i think i've realized and i don't know if this sounds very inspiring but i'm only watching this event to see if gabriel or carissa lose i'm not really watching to see who wins interesting so you are, in a sense, a little bit opposed to just the whole format. I, I just think that it has so much riding on it for everyone else except the number one seats. <laughs> uh, and just the year that we've had and how dominant they've both been. Uh, if, you know, like the year with the men and, and previous years with the women where there have been multiple challenges, you know, potentials of surf-offs and that at Maui with the women and, and seven men going into pipeline, it would make a little more sense. But, you know, Gabriel's gone and done exactly what, you know, the big bosses probably didn't want and that he's just been so dominant on the men's side of things uh, and Chris are fairly similar on the women's side. So, well, yeah. Well, no, Chris is... Chris is totally reachable by all of the women. She's at 37,000 odd points. And I think the lowest woman is at like 32 or something like that. So she's reachable. Gabe is not even close to reachable. And 
Yeah, I wonder. I wonder how the WSL sees that. Like, if you know, if Gabe does lose, does the W does the WSL kind of go like, oh shit, maybe we fucked up, or are they going to take all of that outrage that it is inevitable from surfing fans, and do they embrace it and bottle it and say, this is what we wanted, this is why we made this whole thing, because it gets people to care more than they would about as quote-unquote somebody from the WSL said um, somebody winning on the beach in Portugal yeah um, I think they're definitely going to spin it into a positive no matter what way it goes down uh, it's one of those things where it's going to be a spectacle no matter who wins are you throwing an asterisk on anybody who wins that is not named Gabriel Medina no I'm not I'm not putting an asterisk on this world title no I just think this year has been so challenging for everyone that if you can have kept your shit together and still performed at the top level, then you have earned the title. It's been a pretty fucking hard year for, for everyone. Um, I know a lot of people would probably say that, oh, being a surfer is fucking easy and da-da-da-da-da. But yeah, it's definitely taxing on the on the family and, and you, you, yourself and your friends and you know the things you've got to sacrifice to, to get all the way to the top. So I definitely think whoever wins this year is deserving to be a champion. Uh, I know we haven't had Chopu, but I still think that there's a lot of merit in, in whoever wins this year. Yeah, and I mean, there's no bigger example of what you're talking about, how hard the tour has been on surfers this year, than uh, I think we have seven surfers officially who have been like world tour mainstays who have either fallen off and said that they don't plan on trying to requalify this year or they did requalify and said that they're calling it quits um anyway which is pretty huge like that's i mean it's the biggest exodus of big names from the ct that i've seen since i've been following it um you know we have julian wilson we have uh just the other day jack freestone said that he's not planning on trying to requalify um there is a decent chance I understand that Owen Wright is not going to be trying to requalify. Um, Bronte McCauley has said that she's taking the year off. Obviously, Adriana de Souza and Jeremy Flores both retired, and the list goes on. So, um, yeah, I think COVID is in large part to blame. Um, I don't know. Do you think that there is any sense of beyond that, just like disillusionment with? the WSL in some capacity or do you think it's more just people following their own paths? Nah, I think it's always easy to put the sport up as a punching bag and sort of have, you know, gripes with them, which I know all the surfers do at some point in their career, but I, I think the WSL across, you know, both um, offices between Australia and obviously the head office in America have done a fantastic job to get some kind of tour and paychecks into these surface bank accounts for the last two years. Uh, so, yeah, I think they deserve a lot of credit there. But I do think that the, the greater situation has definitely taken its toll on on the, the crew that you just mentioned. And also, like, timing for a lot of people too. Like, a lot of the people that you just mentioned there, um, you know, in their, in their late 20s or early 30s and either have a kid or two at home and particularly for the Aussies, like I've said a thousand times, like the quarantine situation here is just, it's really not that doable. There's no more, oh, I'm just going to the US Open for 10 days, I'll be home in next week, babe. Like every trip out of Australia is a month. And then if you look at it like that and you want to make, you know, good return on your money, 
you might as well go and bang a trip on the end of it as well and figure out some boards or put a movie part together. So, you know, like there's no more just quick in and outs. So, yeah, I think all of it's weighing down on, on, on those crew and I, I totally, yeah, empathize with that. Yeah, and to be fair, the vast majority of them are Australian. I think I forgot to mention um, Ace Bucken seems to be, he hasn't, he, he put out a long Instagram post basically saying, I don't know what I'm going to do. And Mikey Wright as well is calling it quits. So yeah, a lot of Australians in that group and that makes sense. Um, I, who knows when Australia's border situation will ease. It doesn't necessarily seem like it's going to be anytime soon. Your country seems pretty hell bent on staying quote unquote COVID clean. Um, so they don't want to let anybody in without following very stringent procedures. And yeah, it's going to be hard for these people to compete on tour while that is still in play. So, um, yeah. I don't want to turn this into a political podcast, but I think a lot of us in Australia are starting to realize uh, that uh, our state premiers uh, have a lot more power than we all thought. I think the federal government is getting ready to let this thing rip as they say. Uh, unfortunately, we're about two years behind the rest of the world when it comes to just letting it rip. Uh, our vaccination rates are slowly catching up. But unfortunately, our state premiers cannot agree with one another. So to answer your question about when we will open up, you can have the CEO of Qantas and you know the prime minister of the country and all these other people saying, we're good to go. But if the state premiers don't all agree, then we're going to be in this situation for a pretty long time. Yeah, well, I'm sorry to hear that. I uh, We haven't seen each other in, what, almost two years? Makes me sad. We did our first potty live. The rest have just been on the, on the screen. That's I'm right. off it. Well, it'll be a beautiful reunion. I've actually grown a lot. I'm like 6'4 now. Your beard hasn't, though. It's sort of stayed this weird <laughs> same shape the whole time. Um, all right, so... Now, on that honor roll of who's retiring, I hope everyone's doing all good and, and, and figures out whatever they've got next up coming in life. Particular shout out to Jeremy Flores, absolute mad dog. Um, my favorite story from him was when Joanne Fay was trying to qualify and he bankrolled her for uh, a few events and, and some, some money to get around the, the world. And look at where she is now. She's going for a world title. So I think Jeremy has got a few cool stories like that behind the scenes. And uh, I'm, yeah, stoked on the career that he had. He won all the biggest events. And, and to win at home in, in France or his second home in France there in Hossegor, amazing. So, yeah, bummed to see him go. But he had a, had a great career. And, yeah, best wishes, Jeremy. Yeah, it's uh... – that really feels like a feel-good story, as does Adriano. Um, but it, yeah, it just feels like people... I mean, I guess when Jeremy entered the tour, he probably had serious aspirations of winning a world title. Um, that obviously didn't pan out, but I think that, like, I don't know. He obviously loved surfing, loved competitive surfing, fucking really loved getting barreled, and it seemed like he just spent, you know, 15-ish amazing years on tour, so... I share your sentiments there, um, and gosh, what's he going to do next? He's probably just going to keep doing the same thing, but not in a jersey, just get very barreled. Uh, Mikey, tell me, are you going to go down to the event at all? And a, a second question to that, is it possible? Can you go down and watch the event as just uh, a spectator? I am not going down to the event. We do have someone going down to the event, but that'll be a special surprise. I don't think the 
general public can attend. Um, I know that our special person had to go through a few um, protocol type things. They have to get tested and uh, all that. So yeah, I don't think it's open to the public, but I could be wrong. But if it is open to the public, they're gonna like, I don't know, like keep those people very far away from the whole structure of the thing. Like maybe they got grandstands like down at uppers or something. I've actually never seen a world title go down in the flesh, actually. Oh, yeah, I have actually at uh, at Maui, but never at Pipe. And uh, that would be sick. So um, I hope that all the local kids or whatnot can like wrangle some plus ones uh, to get down and watch that if it's possible. Because I think getting to watch pro surfing when you're a youngster is freaking sick. And the fact that, you know, it's a different world title location could inspire some kid, you know, to be the next big thing. So, yeah. We'll have to see how that all plays yeah, out. I've actually found that for what I do, like covering a contest, it's actually really hard to do it on site. It's so much easier when you have the webcast in front of you. Like you just get so much more like depth and so many more little fun tidbits and you're not distracted by everything that's going on around you. So I'd actually prefer to be off site and then have somebody tell the story from inside not necessarily about the competition but about what the whole day and the vibe is like down there so that's what we are going to be doing and then we also are going to have a writer who does not cover surfing surfing is not their forte um and kind of cover it from an outsider's perspective just to see you know if this is really like a viable interesting thing to a lay person like could it really be, you know, a Super Bowl-esque thing that could draw in non-endemic viewers? Um, so, yeah, we're going to be hitting it from a few angles. If you could have entertainment between the Seed 2 match and the final, uh, who would it be? Oh, um, great question. Yeah, I'm going to... Hold on. I'm going to pass. What, who are, Who's yours? I had no idea, really. I just thought of that when you just said the word Super Bowl. I thought how funny it would be to just have, like, Shakira or someone down there on the rocks just banging it out. But then when I did think about it, I was maybe like the boss, Bruce Springsteen, just all-American, really, really bring it home. Do you have any unsolicited advice for these people? What is, like, the one thing that they could do that would give them a fighting chance? I think they're probably already going to have these game plans if they come up against the, the, you know the top seeds that we've spoken about on the men's side it's just you know you hear Geordie Smith talking about it in that interview sit down thing he did with John John like be on the very best waves <laughs> that's not brain, that's not rocket science um, but the one funny piece of advice I think that is going to be interesting to see how they play out um, and we mentioned it earlier with whether you just go at 80% or not. I just don't think that is a real thing. I think you have to go 110% every heat all the way to the death. And if you do make it to the final from that fourth or fifth position, you're just going to have to like trick yourself into feeling like you've still got plenty of energy in the tank. And it, even if it goes down to a best of three, just tell yourself some sort of lie and, and get out there and get it I done. I mean, Dane Reynolds taught us that the WSL has an oxygen supply that you can tap into if you need it. When did when did he teach us that? Uh, when he made his final at Lowers against McFanning. He was sucking oxygen before the final. He was winded. He was winded. I didn't I didn't Oh yeah. I didn't know that. He was majorly winded. That's kind of Yeah. That's kind it, of strange cuz 
I didn't know that that would be necessarily quote unquote le- legal. Legal? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it was. Meg Fanning but... would have been like, piss off, give me a hit on that thing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, these are ASP days. Oh, it's a little so more loose, you're saying. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. By their yeah. Own rules. Well, yeah. I, I do know that a few surfers got a slap on the wrist for um, getting the, the hangover remedies. Uh, over the years, uh, I know in America you you can order yourself really? in a hangover cure and stick that in your arm, um, and yeah, you're not allowed to do anything intravenously during competition period. They soon learnt. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? What's your unsolicited advice? You've surfed plenty of heats. How many heats have you surfed at lowers over the uh, years? Let's see. I did nationals every year since I was like ten. Probably surfed about one and a half heats per event uh yeah i would have surfed somewhere between 15 and 20 heats at lowers probably so what's your unsolicited advice given the forecast um my unsolicited advice is to wax the shit out of your feet because every time i stand up on my first wave at lowers it is a train wreck all right well my battery is gonna go to sleep soon unless plugged into a power outlet so i think that's our sign to get the hell out of here i'll speak to you on the other side mikey good to chat yeah we will see how our predictions fare um onward and upward stays from the stab cusp we'll see you next time that's all we've got for this week thanks mike thanks stace and thank you for listening don't forget to send your surf sins in and don't forget to watch the finals, I guess, if you if that's something you might forget. The Trestles win in 1990 was, um, you know, I tried to, I surfed that event a few times, uh, a couple years before that, and I didn't do that well in it. But to me, that was like a world title at the time, you know, that, that felt like, that honestly felt as good as winning a world title to me at the time. Trestles was the first point break I ever surfed when I was a kid, you know, the, Went there, I couldn't believe it was peeling off like a perfect wave, you know. I grew up surfing such crap waves, but I don't know, I've always felt like this connection, like an affinity with lowers especially. Um, I surfed there so much when I was a kid and then um, I've had such good luck there competitively, but there's just something about the wave that just feels right, you know, it just feels good and um, I don't know, it feels like home at the time. My memories of that event are that that week I slept on the floor at Rich Wolcott's house in Newport and uh, there was cat poop everywhere, so I was trying to find where I could sleep on his floor where there wasn't cat poop. And uh, he'd wake me up in the morning, we'd have a quick bite of something, cereal, and uh, we'd go to the contest. And then that last day, it was just, you know, it was just, uh, I tried not to think about the pressure of them shooting a film on me, you know, right when I was signing with them, starting with Quicksilver. And we were actually just gonna film that, um, that movie just through trestles and then we decided once I won that they decided we'll wait and we'll go through Hawaii and see what happens in Hawaii and you know get some bigger waves and that kind of thing but my memories of that contest are the waves are perfect the water was warm um, my brother was there with me Sean was there with me and a bunch of my friends and and to me it felt like that day felt like the start of my career <laughs>